going on, folks? I'm Joel Campbell. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Fallout Outdoors podcast. I'm your host. I have two, uh, what I consider pretty serious celebrities for the Midwest, and especially around the North Dakota area. These guys are not only big on radio, but they're also big on TV. So I'm super excited to introduce two good friends, uh, Scott Brewer and Kyle Agri from Gone Outdoors. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Pretty awesome uh, opening up your shack here so that we can sit down and talk fishing, talk hunting, talk everything outdoors for a little while. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. It is fantastic to be here. I've been looking forward to this since you first brought it up a couple weeks ago, and and uh, here we are. So start off, uh, so who are you and what is it you guys do together? Uh, so Scott Brewer, Kyle Agri, we have a company called Brewer Agri Outdoors. We have a radio show called Gone Outdoors. Uh, you can find us, just Google either one of those, you can find us. They're uber famous. They're all over <laughs> the Midwest. And uh, we, our, our goal, our mission literally is to promote hunting and fishing and the outdoors to anybody that will listen to us because we want to grow the sports of the outdoors uh, because it's it's where we came from it's what we love and we know how good it is for people to get involved in that whether they think they need it or not it's good for people uh, both mentally and physically to get into the outdoors and we want to do everything we can to share our passion with whoever will listen that's that's fantastic that's basically what the fallen outdoors is all about uh, getting people involved in the outdoors for therapy uh, whether it's wounded vets, combat vets, or just in general mental health. The outdoors, as we've talked to in the past, is so important. And I think there's nothing better than getting someone on the water or in the field or in the blind, especially if you're having a rough day or work is too much or family. I know it's it's changed my life since I, I got involved with the outdoors since I was like nine. So I know our, our, uh, our audience can probably agree the outdoors is a big part of their lives. Um, so yeah, I, I love the fact that you guys promote that in every aspect, um, that you can any, anything to add Kyle? No, I think that's just, um, we have, you, know, you look at that and how we do that. It's through multiple platforms. It's through multiple audiences, but generally speaking, that's just the common thread that runs through all of it is, is promoting, getting people involved in the outdoors and i think uh, you know you can take that a step further and say helping people be successful in the outdoors and that success might be creating memories that might be you know landing or harvesting a trophy whatever their definition of success is just to help them achieve those goals i love it i love uh every, everything these guys do they're involved in so much in the community whether it's fm walleyes they're a huge part of shields staff they're like the face of shields um they're always involved they're always helping kids fishing, and it's just awesome to see how involved they are with the community. I respect the both of them uh, tremendously for what they do for the community, especially around the Fargo area. Um, so what is it you guys do both during the work week and then on the weekends? Like, How does all that kind of mesh together as far as your career versus your passion? You go ahead. Uh, I'm a maintenance mechanic. I've, I've been at the same company for almost next at the end of this next month it'll be 36 years so i've been there for a long time uh, we make pvc pipe every day so that's what i do eight to five monday through friday uh, occasionally on a weekend you got to go in and help out 
and you know that's what pays the bills that's what puts food on the table and pays the pays the light bill on weekends and on evenings i do everything i can to do what we talked about earlier uh through our different platforms we uh do everything we can to try and teach people how to fish how to hunt how to get involved in the outdoors uh whether it's on the radio show or whether it's at a i just came from an fm walleye board meeting I've been on the board for 15 or so years there. Uh, so grassroots is grassroots education is extremely important and we both do a lot of it. And then we do a lot of other things also. And that takes the evenings and the weekends. So we got a pretty busy schedule. Well, I guess, are you from here originally? Yep, I'm originally from Moorhead. I, right now I currently live about a half a mile on the same road from the house that I grew up in. So no kidding. I didn't move away too far. Um, I'm a Moorhead Spud graduate, went down to uh, science school, got a plumbing degree down there, and then moved back to the area because I love it here. And honestly, I haven't had a reason to leave, and I don't see that I ever will. That makes sense. Cool. I, I love, love it. Am I? I love it. You are up. <laughs> I'm up. Well, uh, so, so my background, I guess, um, I worked in employee benefits for 27 years. 24 of those years has been in mental health, uh, providing mental health uh, in the workplace, access to mental health and work-life resources. Um, have worked on the corporate side of that, have helped start a company in that, and I'm an owner of a company in that field right now. So um, kind of, it's a good balance, right? It's a good offset. Mental health is important. It's a huge part of, of staying healthy, le leading and living a healthy life. And the outdoors has a strong connection, but yet being able to get out and escape from the busyness of that kind of work is, is really complimentary to uh, getting out in the field and in the boat and on the ice like we do. Um, Mr. Brewer is, is a little bit uh, humble here. He and I met way back like what when was it i bought my first boat in 2000 okay yeah this prize that i had waited until i was almost 30 years old to be able to afford is this lund red lund boat and just absolutely was excited about it a co-worker said i needed to go to uh walleyes the rest fishing league better known as um better than golf fishing league Prior to that, the name of it was better than golf, and somebody decided they should probably change the name. Because yeah. there's no golf involved? <laughs> there's absolutely no golf. It's the alternative to uh, Men's Night on the Golf Course. It's, oh, uh, okay. It's out on an area lake, and uh, the schedule about, I don't know, 10, 12, 13, 14 lakes throughout the summer. And it's just a little little bit of competition, but mostly a lot of just uh, BSing and hanging out with the guys and, and fishing. Um, and so, lo and behold, my first night, Mr. Brewer's there and he's uh, helping load and unload loading boats. And we strike up a conversation and, and through being a part of that league for a number of years, pretty soon we both became involved in, you know, kind of that leadership for the league, choosing lakes and stuff. And that grew into another one of our passions, which was men in boats, which is a, a Christian men's ministry in the outdoors. Um, that's been around for 20 years. I which... forgot that uh, to the resume as well. <laughs> you know, yeah. I knew that too, and I totally forgot about it. So, you know, we, we, we both became very active and, and took leadership roles in that, which led into the FM walleyes, 
Scott is a past president as well as a longtime board member. He's held about every position on the leadership team with FM Walleyes, and I got to kind of ride on his coattails going in and follow him through that process, which was pretty cool. That's awesome. And we really can't not have this conversation without mentioning our families. Oh, sure. Um, married, I've been married for 35 years, I think, 30, 34 years, approximately. We're not going to, we're not going to say you don't know the exact Got number. three kids. Um, they're all grown now. And with, without that support of the family, there is no way we would be able to do what we do today. But, you know, they allow us to do it. And I say that they allow us to do it because that's what families do. Um, because they know how much it means to us and how much they love it. And they've all gotten involved also. So I'm very thankful to have a supportive family to be able to do the things that we do. I think having a woman and a wife support you, whether it's in the outdoors of your career as much as yours do, is so good for not only your guys' career, because, I mean, it's the backbone of what you do. Behind every successful man is a woman who's been there since day one. Exactly. Uh, I saw that a lot in the military. Guys 16, 17 years in, five, six deployments, and the same wife has gone on every single one she's maintained the budget, the family, the kids, the bills, kept that house together. And it's no different in the civilian world. Having uh, the support of your family and a good wife is so important in every aspect. But I could see in the outdoors, as an outdoorsman myself, uh, I'm always grinding and I'm always gone. So I can imagine someone who does way more than I do and is constantly gone, how important that is. So my hat's off to the ladies and the wives out there that – are here supporting our guys so they can do what they love to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, inherent in the term outdoors. You're not in the house, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. you're out doing something. Totally and, agree. <laughs> so, yep. Couldn't agree more. So are you from here? Grew up in Montevideo, Minnesota, uh, South central Minnesota in the Minnesota river Valley. And, um, you know, I came to, to school out of high school, I enrolled at NDSU and within a year and a half, I transferred over to Minnesota State Moorhead, where I met my wife. Okay. And got a business and marketing degree over there. So uh, I've not left the Fargo community since, you know, the end of the summer after I graduated high school. Okay. So you've planted roots in state as well. And Definitely. you also have some kids. Yes. Two kids, adults, three grandkids, and uh, a son-in-law. So, yeah, growing family. Awesome. Awesome. I love uh, love hearing the stories when, when people, how they ended up here, how things started. Um, but that's just like barely the tip of the iceberg. So that was a small chunk. So how did you guys start your guys' foundation and company? So it, like Kyle had said, we, we were in this Walleyes RS League uh, and we had some leadership roles in there and, and FM Walleyes needed some help. We were members of FM Walleyes at the time and they were looking for some help in, in board positions. So uh, we ended up joining the board uh, and did that. And then as we were doing that, and we were doing so much work, work with sponsors, getting sponsors for the club, um, working with who's who of the fishing world, uh, arranging speakers and, and all that kind of stuff. After doing that for so long, uh, we decided, well, we should probably maybe do some of this stuff for ourselves also. 
alongside as the stuff that we're doing for these other organizations. And so we started Brewer Agri Outdoors. Uh, we ended up getting a couple of sponsors right off the bat and, and worked them. What is it exactly? What is the company's main foundation? To promote the outdoors. So you, as like a marketing, job. almost like a marketing and promotional company? Pretty much. We, we realized that our mission of encouraging people and, and you know, introducing them to the outdoors, uh, helping them be successful in the outdoors, that that comes from, you know, obviously knowing the industry and obviously knowing how to how to, to find that success and how to encourage folks. And, and people naturally look up to individuals who have some of that leadership capacity. Uh, and I think just naturally in the kind of the roles we took on and, and some of the work we took on in those organizations that seemed to whether it's real or not, people saw that maybe we we were somewhat knowledgeable about yeah. what we were talking about. There was, there was some magic there. <laughs> I don't know, um, but it was good. It was it's just kind of a platform to allow us to do that. It's not a it's not a money making venture. It, uh, that was never our intention, um, but it's been a platform where we can help others and also help. You know, it's been a great thing for us and our our sons, and and both of our sons are involved in the business and um and others as well as as a way to mentor people into the the outdoor industry yeah that's that's one of the things that kind of changed us in our careers was we joined the npaa national professional professional anglers association a number of years ago went through their big conference and it was career changing as far as our outdoor career goes by teaching us how to do things the right way as a professional as a promoter of the sport and there's a lot of people out there that try but they really don't know the right way to go about it and they make a lot of mistakes as we did along the way and honestly a lot of the stuff that we do is just us sharing our passion sharing our knowledge with other people um, we're not saying we do everything right but we'll tell you all the things we did wrong too and we'll tell you we did it wrong you know so that maybe they don't do it the wrong way so they don't have to learn the hard way like we did and like kyle said we one of the things we do is we have four guys uh we call them contributors for brewer agri outdoors and what they're doing is just kind of helping out with some of our promotional stuff uh promoting the outdoors and then we try and teach them the right ways to do it the right way to promote the outdoors because like I said there's a lot of people out there that want to do it and they really don't know how and we learned a lot of that stuff through the NPAA I mean anybody that's at all involved in promoting fishing I highly recommend that you look at joining the NPAA because there is so much information there good information on how to do things the right way when uh when Scott said we're going to go to the NPAA, we were going there to represent FM Walleyes as a club, as a partner to the NPAA. But we never, I never saw myself as a professional angler. Those are the guys that were on the cover of the magazine that fished the, the national circuit of tours of, of tournaments. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's in hindsight a pretty narrow view of it. But that's what, what I think a lot of folks recognize. And, and we came back from that. And Scott said to me, uh, do you see yourself as a professional angler? And I, I pretty much told me he's full of bologna sandwiches. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But the more it sank in, the more you realize that it's not being on stage of a tournament that makes the 
the level of professionalism what it is. It's or the trophies you're collecting. Right. Correct. I mean, I mean, those are all cool. Don't get me wrong. I have a lot of admiration for guys who are, are really good anglers. And there's a lot of people who are much better anglers than I am. Um, but at the same time, there's more to it. And you can encourage people to to benefit from the outdoors and be successful without having to be on that stage and have those those prizes and trophies. I never ever thought about it like that, but you make a really good point. There's kind of two two different you know lanes. You have the uh, the one that's out there competing, get the big che- the Happy Gilmore check. Yep. You know, getting the trophies, getting the the ninety thousand dollar boats with the ten thousand sponsors on it, which is awesome. I love watching yeah. these guys. I know several guys um, that are, are big. Actually, I'm wearing one right now. Yep. Shout out to Toby Kvalibog. He's a good yeah. friend, good guy, and a fantastic guide. Um, and then there's those that are that love the, love to do it and have the passion for it, and they want to promote it and continue with the youth and getting them involved because that's our future in the outdoors, whether it's fishing or hunting. Those coming up uh, that will take our place and you know 15 20 years if we don't prepare them now the sport could be dead and to be able to have that avenue and that platform and do that in my opinion is just as important if not more important because not everyone that's their goal they're trying to make a living for themselves by traveling going to these tournaments and doing that then there's guys that that's their main focus is keep the outdoors alive and continue uh laying the the uh, the foundation for the next generation and that that is truly a remarkable thing to when you really think about it and it, and that's what the mission of the NPAA is it's to help teach people how to become professional anglers it's not doesn't mean you're a touring pro and you're making a million dollars fishing tournaments which by the way nobody is making a million dollars maybe Kevin Van Dam is yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe but you know it's it's te- teaching you how to do it. You know, if you have any sponsors, if you have a single sponsor, you should be a member of the NPAA because they help you figure out how you should deal with your sponsors and how your sponsors, they'll tell you how your sponsors want you to deal with the public. Because anytime you have a sponsor, anytime you teach, if you're just, if you teach a class, if you teach classes, you're representing the sport when you're teaching that class. Mm-hmm. And you need to act professionally, and and there's right ways and wrong ways to do things. That's what the NPAA does. It is for so many more people than just the people that are tournament anglers. So they essentially almost teach you how to be a professional, how to carry yourself properly, and how to handle the public speaking and and overall like the the sport and and that level essentially. Exactly. Very, very much so. I mean, and so if you look at the outdoors, let's face it. We don't need to hunt and fish to survive. We don't. I mean, we might think we do, but we don't, right? Mm-hmm. We have we have accessibility to food. We have accessibility to those things. Whereas uh, several generations ago, it was a means of survival. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where it's in our roots. It's in our DNA. That's why we still feel that urge to get out there and do it. Because we have that our, caveman mentality still. Kind of, because our grandfathers did it. Yeah. Our, our great grandfathers did it, and and back then they did it because they they wanted to eat and they appreciate it. We do it because we want to connect with those ancestors, and still live that tradition in the outdoors. And and it's very real. But in our society, there's a lot of folks who don't have the exposure to that. They're growing up in a in a family that doesn't you know, partake in the outdoor activities. They're growing up in a, in an inner city. They're growing up in a place where they don't have the exposure. 
And so hopefully part of what we do allows some of those individuals to get exposed and have the opportunity to enjoy what we do. Yeah. And I, and I think like Kyle had said, everybody has that in your DNA, whether you're an outdoors person or not, it's inside of you. But a lot of people, how they're raised and how they're brought up in the in the communities or in their family, that desire is kind of squashed. They, they don't see it. They don't know it. So that it never gets a chance to come out of them. It's kind of tucked away in there. It, it's yeah. tucked away in there. Um, but I think that's why so many people, when you take them out for that first time, they're like, wow, this is awesome. This is, you know, they really, really enjoy it because you're unlocking that part of their DNA that they've never experienced. Again, mind blown. Cause I've seen that in people's <laughs> eyes that, yeah. you know, I've wanted to get out. I've always had a, an urge and an interest, but didn't have the money. Didn't have the time. I didn't grow up like that. Honestly, it's, uh, it's happened to a few f- good, like female friends of mine. My dad did it, but he didn't get me involved. And then they come out with us and my buddies, like in high school and stuff. Um, and definitely I experienced it when I was in the military and you could see they wanted to be involved. They had it inside them as well, but just didn't grow up with it. Didn't know what it was like and never really got the opportunity. So when I, when I presented them the opportunity, it just exploded. Well, if they you fell in love, right. A big part of, of getting people in the outdoors is introduction to the outdoors, but there's also re-engagement in the outdoors. You've got a generation that's probably closer to Scott and Mai's age. And, and a lot of those folks, uh, they grew up as kids and they were in the outdoors, right, with their fathers or their, their families. And they got into their early career years and got really busy career-oriented, career-focused, and just didn't have the time, mm-hmm. okay? And, and you know, life life happens, right? And building a family in their Building career. a family, building a career, and, and pretty soon 15, 20, 25 years goes by, and now their kids are, are maybe in – middle school or high school or, or whatever the age is, maybe it's grandkids, but all of a sudden these kids get exposed to something at FM walleyes or they get exposed to something through high school student angling and they get excited. Now you see that, that parent get re-engaged or that grandparent get re-engaged and reconnected and it just rekindles that fire. Because they see their son or daughter yeah. get into it yes. and they get activated. And, and they get involved in it, too. If you get a kid in high school angling or trap shooting, you know, you're going to get involved in it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You, you just are. And, you know, Kyle's pretty humble on this. You know, as far as the high school angling, he, is, he has done so much in the community for high school angling. It's crazy. But it, it really is twofold. It's to get the kids interested. But like Kyle said, the the silver lining behind that is you're getting so many of these parents that back into it again and some some you're just getting them into it the first time you know so you're teaching the kids and their parents at the same time and you're it is such a great vehicle to get people into the outdoors not just the kid that's that's competing the whole family does I love when I see families that are just big into it. There's a family of five or six, and then everyone does it, whether they all are hunting or fishing, or they're just all fishing, or they're all hunting. To see that littlest one who is maybe six up to dad, who is 55 or whatever the case is, and they all are getting into it, that just makes me smile because it's so cool to see that guy's preparing his kids and the next generation the right way. Uh, I'll take a – I'm probably going to take the words out of Scott's mouth right now because this is a page out of his book. But 
no knock on high school sports and athletics. My wife, Scott's wife, they're both educators. They both work in the school districts. And, and we fully understand from their experience how important extracurricular activities mm -hmm. are. But Scott says this a lot. Your kid's not going to come home to play another game of football when they're 27 years old. But they're going to come back for deer season. They're going to come back for pheasant opener. Waterfall. They're going to come back for fishing opener. Yeah. yeah. They're going to yeah. come back for those things. That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. If Football you... is only going to take you so far unless you're one in the 100,000 right. that make it yep. to the, the D1 level and then the one in one million that get drafted. Team sports are great, but the outdoors are great for families because that's something that they will continue on through their whole life. And no matter, like Kyle said, if, if you're – you get your son involved in in hunting and fishing, and then he gets a big job and he moves away to California. He will still come back to go hunting and fishing with mom and dad, but he won't come back to play soccer or to play football or play baseball. It's a really good point. It's a lot more uh, important and crucial for, I think, a family and and the future of kids and generations than sports. You really make a really valid. Mm -hmm. And as much as a diehard sports, I'm a nut when it comes to my sports. Oh, we love it too. And I'm not knocking it one bit. Oh, I know. I, I know you love sports just as much. <laughs> I just never really thought about it that way. You make a really valid statement that they once they graduate, unless they make it to the next level, their career football, football, hockey, baseball is over. But they will come back for opener to go get back in the stand with their dad or their brother and siblings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, deer camp is important, you Those know. Traditions. Opener. Yeah. Having those traditions yeah. is super important. You know, and, and something you guys touched on a little bit ago, how a lot of people are, they're fishermen or they're hunters or they're both. I, I think it'd be really cool if we could find out from the schools that had both fishing and trap shooting leagues, how many of those kids are the same kids and how many are different. Oh, dual? Or dual. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap. I can yep. tell you that because because most you know you talk to a fisherman, there's a good chance he's probably a hunter too. Yeah. You talk to a hunter, there's a good chance he's a fisherman. Yeah, usually once you're into one, you're into both. And I'm really curious in that high school stage when a lot of them are just learning this stuff, if they are doing both or not. But they're starting to kind of take that pattern yeah. or whatnot. Yeah, most of my I'd say almost 85 percent of the people I hang out that are in my outdoor group. If they're, they may be, I, I like open water. I enjoy it. I'm not a boat angler. It's just, there's so many logistics, so much stuff with the biology and the temperatures and science. Um, I it, it's overwhelming. I own a boat. I, I enjoy it. I love it. If I get invited, I'm on it in a heartbeat, but I, as you can see, have everything it takes to get on the hard water. And I would spend all winter uh, on the hard water over open water any day. I love pulling fish, fish big walleyes through the hole and going to Canada and getting a greenback. There's just nothing like it. I, I think hard water is where it's at. That's where, well, that's where fishing is pretty unique. There's a lot of people like that. that yeah. They, they either ice fish a lot or they summer fish a lot and never ice fish, you know, where they mainly key in on one or the other. And uh -huh. then there's a mixture that do both. Yep. And I think a lot of it is based on work schedules and family schedules. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are laid off all winter. So then Agreed. their main thing is ice fishing. Yeah, I you agree. Know, so that definitely plays a part in it. But one cool thing about ice fishing, now that we're, we're just kind of getting off on a tangent here. But one thing about ice fishing is 
it can mean 30 different things to 30 different people. Agreed. You know, it could be somebody going out on Christmas, drilling a hole with a hand auger and sitting on a bucket and, and fishing. That's I, for them. That's ice fishing. Yeah. For other guys, with a bush light. this, this is ice fishing. You well, know, this is, this is what right? I call glishing. And, and there's guys that'll take something like this out on the ice and they'll sit there and they'll jig and they'll fish hard the entire time. Then there's another group of people that have come out, set this up, and maybe put one line down with five people in here and sit here and hang out and have enjoy, fun. Themselves. enjoy themselves for a weekend. Yeah, and it's they, a football game. And they call yeah. that ice fishing. You know, ice fishing is such a unique sport because you can do it however way you want with whatever tackle you want. You can get into it or tackle and gear. You can get into it pretty expensive or pretty inexpensive, or you can get this. It's there's no right or wrong way to ice fish by by all means, and there's no definition of it. I mean, I love the hop in if I got an opportunity, I'll crop you hop, I'll pull out the portable. If it's nice, I won't even take a house. I have no problem running around. Um, but it depends if I know the lake or not. But I got this for two reasons. One, I wanted to get vets more involved and have an opportunity where they didn't need anything, just show up with shoes. Because yep. essentially you consider in here pajamas. <laughs> And I have everything else. And then they can enjoy the outdoors and be comfortable and warm and safe. Then there's camping in the summertime. This is a full-blown camper. So I wanted to get people involved in our chapter a lot more, more people involved in the community more. And then it gave me an opportunity to kind of rekindle with my family after being gone for so long. We got kids that are growing up very fast. I want to take my nieces, my nephews out. Then it gives my mom and dad an opportunity to take the grandkids camping uh, we just had a huge family deal this last weekend on Leech, which is now going to be our tradition. It was my brother, his wife, and kids. My dad came out. We had a blast. We had the Sioux hockey game going on. We had great food. The fishing was interesting. Catching was awful. <laughs> but it was a really great weekend. I would have loved the kids to you know, pull, through, pull some fish through um, for sure. It would have been the icing on the cake. Um, but then look at last weekend, I had a bunch of vets from Tennessee come up and we crushed fish and it was a great experience for them. It was totally different than what we saw, but that's the barometric pressure comes. You got the weather, a blizzard hits the snow, the sun, all that changes in a flash and then boom, their patterns are gone. And now we're back to square one. Yep. It's a, uh, it's a game for sure. And you either got to be ready for it or it's going to eat you alive. <laughs> I love it. I love the opportunity. I love to be able to hit the hard water and I love to hit the open water for sure. But I am definitely a diehard water waterfaller. I love the hard water. I like deer hunting, but I am dead, dead, deep, deep involved in the fowl. I chase those birds like you wouldn't believe. And you know, I love it. You know what? One of my favorite parts of deer hunting is no matter so we we do all these hobbies so that we can get out and relax every one of these hobbies that we're talking about you can be as busy as you want you can stay busy you can run around you can you're constantly moving constantly doing stuff with deer hunting you can't you're sitting there and you are, you have no choice but to completely unwind, completely disconnect. Your mind can still run around, but you can't. You can't be moving around a lot unless you're doing drives and that kind of stuff. But if you're sitting in a stand at all, you are there for a day or for days after days after days. And you can really reconnect with nature 
and kind of fill your what what I'm, what's the word I'm thinking of? Fill your uh, mental capacity back again. Your cup. Fill your cup back up. Yep, yep. exactly. That's a really good point. That's, it is a different game. Deer hunting is really the only outdoor sport that you can do. You can do that ice fishing too if you want, but you can still be as busy as you want. So for those of us that like to stay busy, deer hunting forces you not to be busy. You need discipline. You need to sit still yep. and become one of the nature. Correct. Or those deer will never come out. <laughs> makes sense. Makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, like, I completely agree. I love it. I love it. Um, so with all of this in mind and the mental health and getting involved in the outdoors, it's one of the big things that we strive for at, at the Fallen Outdoors is, is the families and getting your kids involved, but keeping these vets' minds um, clear and, and healthy uh, so we can, you know, combat the the pandemic or I should say the epidemic of of the suicide that we we face in the veteran community and we are trying to make that 22 number down to zero and we're doing a really good job um I think we're 10 11 years in and we've taken out I don't I want to say like over 50,000 men and women on on different trips um what made you guys want to support the fallen outdoors when i introduced it to you because of that it's a great program and you guys are extremely extremely active you know there's a lot of veteran programs out there and god bless every single one of them um but you guys are so busy you're you're actively moving it's like i just said you guys don't ever sit down to take that time you guys are always moving, always looking for what's next, always trying to find more vets that you can help. And, you know, hats off to you guys. You're doing a great job. Yeah, I would agree. And, and I mean, it's it's that philosophy. And I think it it resonates with Scott and I because we look at what we do and maybe in particular our radio show. And it's it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to get complacent where you sit back and you have a, a – you know, just just put it on autopilot and and think you've got it mastered. And I think we're always looking at what's what's new, what's exciting, what's out there that we haven't seen or heard from yet. And and you were one of those, right? And and when you kind of introduced this, it was something that we had heard of the Fallen Outdoors before. But I'll be honest, I know for myself, I wasn't familiar with it. it wasn't something I was intimately had had knowledge of. But just going back to what Scott said, you know, it's just that that continual wanting to move forward with your mission. We uh, we we are constantly moving. Whether you're in Alaska chasing king salmon or you're in Florida going after whatever's down there, <laughs> there's a state with an event and a trip and an opportunity for anyone. Um, that's why I like this organization. Is it's so universal and transparent with what they're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish and the opportunities that present uh, to all the men and women across the nation. And we're growing so rapidly. I, I think this organization might be, I don't know for sure, I could be maybe stepping on it heavily, but I think we're the largest nonprofit regarding the outdoors in the country wow. as far as like what we do for activity. I know there's a ton out there. But I don't think they're putting up the numbers that we're doing. You know, 250, 275 on staff. 
with 44 states. We're trying to hit that 50, but nobody wants to like go to Rhode Island. <laughs> well, and, and that's a testament. Hawaii, you know. That's a testament for how good of an organization it is because that stuff doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of volunteers, takes a lot of man hours. I mean, thousands and thousands of man hours to do all that organizing, good leadership. And that's what attracted us to you guys is because of that. And you wouldn't be able to have that growth without all of those things. I, I would totally agree. I'm going to just throw this out there, Joel, too. You haven't found somebody to go to Rhode Island yet. Oh, it'll happen. It'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> we will right. hit 50 by the time I hit. I think before we hit 15 years, maybe. I think we're at 11. I can't remember. But I, I think it's bound to happen. We'll hit 50. I know the the founder and a good friend of mine, Eric Bakken, has been wanting to hit that number so, so bad. And I just got to give a shout out to Eric for starting this, this, this organization. For those that don't know, was started in the the mountains of Afghanistan on an actual live deployment when Eric and his unit from Fort Carson was in Afghanistan. And it was like three guys, and essentially they wanted to come up with a way to keep the camaraderie together after post-enlistments and keep the, the brotherhood alive and to help with the mental health after getting out. Sadly, one of the main members um, didn't make it back and his name is actually Eric. And when they got back, Bakken decided in honor of his soldier and best friend, they were going to start an organization and, and, and honor his memory and what they wanted to accomplish. And he's probably looking down now and just astonished at what we started moving hills and then we started moving moguls and now we're moving mountains. And I'm sure he's incredibly proud of what we've got to do in such a short amount of time. So, Eric, if you're you're not listening currently, but you will be, uh, I can't thank you enough for starting such a fantastic organization that's changing lives and has changed my life dramatically. Uh, there's words can't describe what you're doing for the men and women of this country. It's so awesome. Um, so we kind of touched on this question. What was the biggest attraction? Um, is there anything that particularly stands out? Uh, compared to other organizations out there other than like we're constantly moving is there anything else that maybe uh you you've seen in the last few years since i guess i introduced this to you five years ago uh yeah i would say probably your uh attitude and desire to you, you don't take no for an answer you just keep going because you're doing it for the right reasons you, you're doing it for the veterans and it's it's amazing the dedication that all of you guys have we don't back down easy for sure we know we were gonna definitely hit some some obstacles but we knew if we wanted if we just kind of held in there and held in tough that eventually we would get to where we are and now we have some of the biggest names in the industry supporting us sponsoring us and allowing these vets to get good equipment at a great discounted rate um but i i agree we're we don't back down easy by yeah. any means. And, and you're doing it for the right reasons. So, you know, you're, the footing that you're on is very, very strong. And and uh, you can do whatever you guys want to do. You can do it, but you just got to keep at it. And you guys know that, and you are. I, I'm going to just say, too, beyond the organization, I think what you're doing for veterans, these are the people who are defending our freedom. These are people in a, in a horrible world who are taking the – 
the, the frontline stance to keep me and my family and everybody else that we care about safe. And they deserve the chance to have support. They deserve the chance to be taken care of. They deserve the chance to be introduced to the outdoors. And so I think there's a there's a real connection and appreciation and level of respect that we have. Well, we appreciate you guys' support. Um, it's it's not easy to be able to do what we do and be successful at it without the support of the community, the support of the companies and the sponsorships we've gotten across all of our chapters. Um, you know, getting getting us on your guys' show to help promote our fundraisers that are coming up or any events and whatnot are, are huge because that's an avenue I couldn't tap without the support of you guys. So I, I greatly appreciate you guys' uh, support and, and for your friendship. Uh, it's been it's been huge since I, I started uh, this chapter in, in North Dakota five years ago. Um, and we hope to just get bigger and better in the next few years. It'll happen. Yeah and, yeah, and we'll be along for the ride with you. We're looking, we're looking forward to it for sure. So I heard through a buddy of mine that you had some pretty cool Canada stories. I'm curious to hear uh, what Canada was like when you went up there this fall battling COVID through the border. Let's, can we just, did both of you go? Yeah, we both we went up there. We. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing this. <laughs> okay, so we know this is a family show, Joel. So we're going to keep it. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it PG. <laughs> just kidding. No, just kidding. no. Uh, Scott and I have for, for quite a number of years, pretty much the whole time we've been on the Lawn Boats Pro Team, we've been traveling to Canada, Pine Falls, Manitoba, fishing the Winnipeg River and Lake Winnipeg in October for a, a tournament. And it's it's really become a tradition. It's the one tournament he and I fish together. All the other events and things we do, we're with our sons or we're with other people. This is the one event in the year. We kind of close the book on the open water season, fishing it together. Well, obviously the border was closed for a couple of years and and um, we weren't able to, to go. And so this fall, we missed one year, basically, is, is yeah. the way it laid out. We missed 2020, didn't get to go. 2021 is coming around and, and summer's coming to a close. Rumblings of the border between the United States and Canada opening up. Pretty soon it happens. And we're like, there was no like conversation. Full send. Back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> we're going. ready. We're going. You're ready. So we did all the things that you're supposed to do, right? We, we were vaccinated. Uh, we had our vaccination card. Uh, we downloaded the Arrive Can app. Passports up to date. Passports up. I mean, all the things that we do. And for many years, we've done seminars uh, through Shields and, and some of the ice shows about fishing Lake Winnipeg and, and crossing the border. And so it was different. Obviously, it was different with some of the, the COVID rules and regulations. But I got to hand it to the, to the Canadian government. You know, um, you can say what you want. You can have your opinion on the Canadian government. That's fine. <laughs> they They figured out this app. The Arrive Can app. You download it on your smartphone. You take a picture of your passport, and it populates the entire app with everything in your passport. And then it asks you the questions that are necessary for you to cross the border, right? Like dates of vaccinations, where you're staying, and all that information. You've got to have a COVID test within 72 hours of crossing the border and has to be negative, of course. So we did that. Right. We did that. We got our tests. They were negative. We're like, boom, we're home free. 
nothing stopping us now to catch the the greenbacks. Yes. And uh, and so we do that. We get to the border and we hand them our passport, and it's super cool. You know, they scan the passport, and boom, everything from our smartphone app was automatically on the the agent's computer. That's crazy. And, and by the way, it is it was super fast because normally when we get to the border, there's a line of two to ten vehicles in oh, front yeah. of you. Oh yeah. Uh, since the border was freshly open, there weren't a lot of people traveling. There was nobody there. Nobody. You just, you just drive right up. Oh wow! Drive Driving right service. up. We got the VIP treatment. Give, give him your stuff, and and he download. You know, he looks at that app, and done deal, and off you go. I mean, it, it was a, a, probably our fastest crossing through. So I heard you guys had made a trip one of your many up to the motherland of Canada this last fall. And you ran into some very interesting situations. Um, I'd love to hear that story if you don't mind sharing. Well, before I let Kyle discuss our, you know, our events and how everything happened, we are very prepared. What we do is, and we talked about it earlier, we know a lot of the mistakes that we've made. We try not to make them. We want to be very, very prepared when we go up to Canada. And we've done many seminars on Canada teaching people how every step they need to do, everything they need to do to get up there, um, from getting licenses to getting across the border to fishing, things to expect, things to have with in case stuff breaks down, all of that. We've taught a lot of anglers tried to teach a lot of anglers how to do things so that they don't have issues once they get up there. Um, but since we missed last year, some things have changed up there. And these are some things that we didn't weren't necessarily prepared for, although we were able to make it work. We, we got everything worked out fine, but it was a little disappointing for us personally that we didn't quite get everything done the way that we wanted to get done it was um yeah it was number one was the thrill because this was a a tournament up in pine falls manitoba on the winnipeg river and lake winnipeg that we have fished since since we've the entire time we've been on the Lundboats pro team there's a lot of other pro members up there that fish this tournament it's uh it's a it's the only tournament you and i fish together uh, that we're not fishing with our sons or someone else um, and so there's a lot of tradition and excitement behind this tournament, not having the opportunity to go up in 2020 because of, because of COVID, um, we hear rumblings of the border possibly opening in 2021. And we kind of had that, we'll believe it when we see it sort of mentality and, um, Pretty soon, late summer, early fall of 2021, this last fall, the, the border opens up again. So it wasn't a lot of debate or conversation from us. It was, we're going and that's that's it. Uh, we had both been vaccinated, so we're, we met that requirement. Uh, we had basically done a little research, but, but kudos to the Arrive Can, the travel Canada, whether it's the, I don't believe it's just the, the province of Manitoba, but it's beyond that. It's all of Canada. They arrive can app. You scan your passport and it populates the entire app with all of your information. And then you enter your 
your vaccination dates, you enter your address where you're staying when you get into the country, and it basically has all that information. So when you arrive at the border, you give them your passport, they have everything that's in the app. And, and it went super fast. Normally when you get to the border, uh, for anybody that's traveled into Canada by land, odds are you're gonna be number two or number 10 in line uh, to get up to the to the border agent. That's always annoying. Yeah, and so you sit there and wait and sit there and wait. This time, and granted the border had just recently opened like a month or two before, but there's nobody there, nobody. So you could just drive right up, which was amazing. And then when you give me your passport, that can app pops up on there or the arrive can app pops up on our computer and all our information is right there. So it went super, super fast, probably our fastest crossing across the border. So very, uh, would you consider a incredibly smooth transition uh, considering everything that's been going on, you didn't expect to this to be so easy to get into another country it was super smooth super easy and of course we had done our covid tests within 72 hours got the negative results had the paper had the form we needed we're ready to like just about drive away from the border crossing and the agent says oh just one more thing uh oh here it comes just <laughs> one more thing uh, <laughs> you guys didn't do anything wrong and then he looks at me and he goes kyle uh you are the unlucky winner of a, a random test, a random COVID test at the border. Right there? And we're like, we never even knew that was a thing. Yeah, I never heard of that before. <laughs> so first he said, "Pull." you can pull ahead to door number one. We, we pull ahead and he gave us a box. So I had a box. He'd pull ahead to door number one and these guys come out in hazmat suits, you know, and, and it was early in the morning. We wanted to get some fishing in that day. So it was pretty early. The... Uh, the station wasn't set up yet. They weren't prepared to do the test. So he said, give me your email address. We'll, we'll register you. You can go to your destination and, and self-administer the test. Self-administer. I'm like, okay, that sounds real fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, all right, whatever. We got to get going. There's fish to be caught. And uh, so we go on. We get to the cabin. We're renting a cabin on Lake Winnipeg. You know, lots of anticipation. We get our stuff moved in, and I'm like, "Well, we got. I got to do this. I've got to do this." So I, I look. I've got the email on my phone. I click on it. There's a video call that happens instantly, and this Canadian nurse pops on my phone. And wait, you're about to do a Zoom call with the Canadian RN, and she's going to tell you what to do. Zoom call with Canadian RN wow. on my phone at the kitchen counter in the cabin. And she's instructing me how to open the test. She's checking my ID. She's checking the, the barcode on the test. She's instructing me on everything I need to open up and the swab. And she's like, you know, stick it up your nostril as far as you can oh. for 15 seconds. I will count. Okay. So you can't even like run the clock out. Yeah. You can't fake it. And then <laughs> we awful. We, we get, I get the, the 15 seconds done and she's like, okay, now you got to do the, your other nostril while I watch. Um, and the sad part about it was she wasn't the only one watching. Someone else had his phone out and was videotaping it only to make fun of me later. I don't know who that could have been. 
Yeah, I don't know who would have possibly did that. I'm literally crying. The, the tears are running from my face. I've had a few of those. They're not a good time. No. So seal the test up. She watches everything, and, and I pass all the protocols. And as she said, set it outside and wait. There will be a courier that will come to the cabin and pick it up. And lo and behold, 45 minutes later, a retired guy in a minivan drives up to the cabin. Well, actually, first he called because he couldn't find us. And then uh, he he found us and he he drove up and he picked up the test and uh, you know it was negative great that was fine they emailed the test results the next day and and so on but it was a little bit of a shocker because technically if I would have tested positive if I would have contracted it between oh, when I took my initial test and awful. when I crossed the border I would have had to quarantine in that cabin in Canada for fourteen days oh and there goes the tournament yeah it's, it's a little bit of stress that. Uh we weren't necessarily prepared for that we didn't know about. What would you have done, Scott? Well, we, Just curious. We would have stayed there. Just hung out? Yeah. Because I don't think I would have been able to leave either. I don't oh, know I suppose because you are you have close contact. Yeah. At our so, expense. You know, so we were. Oh. And, you know, that's one of the things everybody talked about. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, at your expense. Everybody talks about it before you leave. Well, what if you can't get back? And it's like, well, there's no way you can't get back because you don't have to take a test to get back. Oh, you don't? No. no. So, oh, so how, I didn't know that. How could you ever get stuck up there? Because you never have to do a test while you're there. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Unless you get drawn for a random test, and then they test you. And, you know, so he had a test 72 hours before that, which was negative. So we're pretty sure it was going to be negative. But you just never know. But, you know, then the other thing we weren't prepared for, for years and years and years, we wanted Manitoba to get online licensing because all they've ever had is paper licensing. And our first trip up there, what, 10, 11 years ago, when, when we got up there in the wintertime, late March, we drove around to nine or 10 places, licensing places, and they were all out of the license booklets. Oh, no. So we could not buy a license. Finally, the 11th place we went to had one book under the counter, and we were able to buy a license and go fishing. So... Where we purchase our license is always a huge part of our trip. I bet. And we plan that out, and we know where to go. This year when we got up there, after we went across the border, we drove into Winnipeg and went to Lake of the Woods Sports, where we usually go. That's where I go. And found out that. It's a cool place. Found out that they no longer have paper licenses. Everything is online. Oh, wow. So the only way you can get a license is online. They don't sell them. So we can even buy a license from them. So to make this a little more challenging is we went back to the cabin and you can buy it on your phone. Yeah. You can take a photo of it. Yeah. All of that. And that's all good. But if you're fishing Lake Winnipeg, if you have a walleye over 28 inches in your possession, you have to sign the back of your license, just like a deer tag. And in a normally when we're fishing, we wouldn't keep a fish that big anyway. Yeah, yeah. But in a tournament, you do. So if you catch a walleye over 28 inches in a tournament, you have to sign the back of your license. And if you have a photo of your license, how do you sign it? Can't. You can't. So now we need a paper copy of the license that we just bought online. And we're at a cabin on the lake. And obviously there's no printer there. So now we got another challenge. So we ended up going out for dinner that night to the South Beach Casino 
and emailed them our license and then they printed them up. Oh, God bless them. That's a great place. Yeah. That's an awesome place. It's, it's a like really cool place. Kind of feel like you're in Florida when you first roll up, but you're actually in Winnipeg. But it's a cool atmosphere. They have good food accommodations. I've been there two years and uh, we had no nothing but great things to say about the experience, the food, the accommodations. And it's just a cool theme. It's a cool atmosphere. And that time we felt like celebrities, not because of anybody recognizing who we were as uh -huh. Connor and Kyle, but we were the first Americans they'd seen in two years. Oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> Did you get a bunch of questions? Oh, yeah. What's yeah, it like down there? What have you guys been up to? This Lots and that, this and that. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. So, okay, so you got all that. You're good to go. You you make the tournament after all, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what happened in the tournament? What Day one, you're all set. You're assuming you got over this clusterfuck of situations. Now you're ready to hit it hard and win a tournament. So we get to the access, or we get about a half mile from the access on the first day, and we're all ready to go. We get there early, and we come to a complete stop because the fog is so bad, you can't see 10 feet in front of your truck. Oh, that's dangerous. So we start inching our way towards the access, and we finally get there, and there's a line of people waiting to get in that's probably... 25, 30 rigs deep, and everybody just keeps inching forward, inching forward as they're slowly trying to put boats in in this fog. Uh, we probably got there around 7 o'clock, and I think probably close to 8, 8.30 is when we finally got our boat in the water. And they were holding the, holding the field up because of the fog. And the fog, which ended up not being fog, it was smoke from a sod farm that was burning their sod about five miles away oh that's interesting so it was very localized um and they had sent at 10 o'clock as we're all sitting out there for two hours at 10 o'clock they say all right we're gonna send send uh the first flight out single file idle only until you get out about two miles and the fog should be better so they start doing that and then they go take the second flight and recheck everybody again because you got to recheck all the boats. So they've been floating on the lake for two hours here on the river. And uh, right before the second flight gets ready to start idling away, they uh, got on the intercom and said, hold on, we're not going to let anybody out. The first flight is caught in fog out there about a half mile out, and we're sending everybody back. So they came back and we all sat there until about 11.30. Finally at 11.30 in the morning, they finally let us go. The fog had cleared enough so that we could go. And we had a 22 mile ride to get to our spot. And it was probably two and a half to three foot waves out on the lake. And it took about an hour to get there. And we only had a couple hours of fishing time, but boy, we sure made a count on that day. Yeah, it was a good day of fishing. And, you know, it wasn't your garden variety fog. This was like when you sit in the driver's seat of your pickup, you could not see the boat behind your truck. Uh, it was it was literally the densest, most uh, like you could not. See, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. It was it was unreal. You you were floating on the water and you could literally be ten feet from another boat and not see them. That's so. I can't believe how dangerous that was. Yeah, yeah. Which is why they didn't let anybody out. Everybody just sat there and floated out in front of the access, basically for three and a half hours. Then we had a very short day that first day, and we did really well. I think we were sitting in sixth or seventh place after the first day. And how, to how many boats? 
um, 55 or 60. So you're really time. sitting in a pretty spot yeah. first day. Yeah, we were, you know, we had a chance of possibly winning it. We had another good day. And what's, uh, what's prizes for stuff like this? It's like eight to 10 grand for first place. Right on. So. Canadian. Canadian, Canadian, so 4,500. Yeah. <laughs> Second day, we did the exact same program. You know, we weren't going to change anything. So that first day, Kyle caught most of our bigger fish, and he was using a bigger profile jig, a hair jig, and uh, he caught most of the bigger fish with that bigger profile jig, and I caught more of the, uh, the smaller slot fish, which we needed two of each. We need two slot fish. Or the smaller ones and then two two of the bigger ones each day so we figured we'd do that exact same program use the exact same jigs and we'd go out and we'd have another great day but as uh most anybody that's a fisherman that's listening to this knows it doesn't always work that way and it did not work that way the fish slid about 50 feet out deeper um from i think it was like 14 15 feet out to about 18 feet and by the time it took us about an hour, hour and a half to realize that we really needed to move, we couldn't wait them out any longer. And by then the bite stopped. So we never did get in on the bite that those guys on 18 feet were getting. So the second day was much more of a challenge and we dropped out of the money. But, oh, but that's, that's fishing, rough. You know? Yeah, that's kind of how it is. You're on top of the world, top five first day, and then hit some a brick wall and next day bottom five. Well, you know what they say, you can't win a tournament on the first day. If it's a two-day tournament, you cannot win it on the first day, but you can lose it. You can do so bad that you can never catch back up again. That's and we point. didn't do that. You know, we had that entire second day, we had something to fish for. All it took, you know, one or two fish, 10 minutes left, you know, and we could have st still done well. So we wow. had something to fish for all day, which which is all you can ask for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So overall, it was uh, an experience for the books. Great trip. Another memory-filled trip. Absolutely. Uh, not all the memories came while we were in the boat. But yeah. No, that's all right. Yeah. Right on. Well, that's awesome. I, uh, I've i been anxious to hear this trip for a while, or this, this memory. So I'm glad I got to finally hear that. Well, folks, that is a wrap for our episode. Uh, I want to thank my amazing special guests, Kyle and Scott, uh, for joining me tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed much, hey, gentlemen. Absolutely. It's, it's always a pleasure to have uh, good quality people from the industry on our show. I'm um, looking forward to doing it again. And uh, we got some stuff coming up, uh, another another fundraiser for Fargo. So I'll have to hop on yours and uh, yes. explain. It's a little different than what we normally do, but I'm pretty excited to uh, bring it to the Fargo area. I think it's going to be a huge hit. Uh, it's going to be like four or five months actually. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited to bring that out. So join in uh, next episode. I have an incredible guest, but I won't tell you who it is. You'll have to stay tuned. Thanks everybody. Have a great night. <laughs>